15-year-old Tanetta Yvette Carlisle had made the one-mile trek from her house to her school several times before. It was nothing new and nothing overly complicated. Her mother thought she had nothing to worry about, as many parents did, but they had no idea what was roaming those hilly roads with their children. It wasn't supposed to happen here. Tanetta's mother worked hard for their small country home nestled safely on the mountain, and yet her baby was taken from her without a trace. I'm your host, Michael, and this is Strange and Unexplained. So this infamous walk home took about 20 minutes and was almost a straight shot minus the slight left at the end, turning onto the road where her house sat. And it was the worst part though. That last stretch, it was a big hill that led up to her driveway and then onto her porch. It was normal in this area of Chattanooga, Tennessee, sitting there amongst the Appalachian Mountains for the homes and roads to weave in and out of the mountain like a carefully woven rug dipping drastically or climbing excruciatingly steep, depending on which direction you're heading. City High School was set up on a hill, and most of Tanetta's walk home was downhill, which she never seemed to mind, because it was a nice, easy walk, a great time to unwind and relax after another eventful day at school. A walk where the pressures of tests, peers, and the nagging question of what are your plans after graduation, if only for a few minutes, disappeared, and she was free. She could just walk quietly. I feel like that's so underrated nowadays, right? Not just for children, but also for adults. Um, Adults aren't even doing that, spending time in their own head, going on a walk alone. um, I mean, I know it's not safe. (laughs) Don't get me wrong. Um, But there's still things you could do by yourself in your own head. No outer influence, you know even things outside meditating. And um, I think it's good. It's good for your self-conscious. It's good for your subconscious, rather. And it's good for your overall mental health. And I think it's kind of fallen to the wayside now with the uh, little entertainment package we have, we carry around with us in our pockets, right? Anyways, back to the story. And after she turned down her street, she would see the road begin to grow like a small tsunami wave. Not a big hill, just a very sudden one. And at the very highest point sat the little house, which she held the key to in her front pocket. Tanetta's mother was working and would not be home till later that evening. So Tanetta would let herself in and wait for her mother. This was nothing unusual. After all, it was 1989, and most parents still felt safe for their kids to walk a mile alone to school, especially a high schooler. And Tanetta had already done this so many times before. She was a very responsible child who was known for helping the elderly in her community, singing in, the, singing in the local First Baptist choir, and running track for her school. She got good grades and avoided trouble. She was a good kid. Kids all over that mountainside neighborhood repeated the same short walk to the stairs that zigged and zagged up the front lawn of the high school as it sat perched at the top of the hill like some kind of lighthouse. It was fitting, though as it was the beacon of safety to most parents, the place where children went to learn and grow safely. But on March 16, 1989, just after the school bell rang, Tanetta left the safety of that bricked fortress 
and started the journey home. And unfortunately, it would be her last walk. At 3 p.m., a woman who lived on another road that overlooked the road Tanetta was walking on was out in her garden tending to her flowers. She and her husband were just cleaning up the yard when they heard a commotion in the street. Like the squealing of tires on pavement. And since this was a rural area, not a place with a lot of traffic, the suddenness of the sound really startled her. As she looked up, she saw a yellow and tan vehicle come to a stop in the middle of the lane. It was the only vehicle on the street at the time. She also took notice of the young black girl walking. The vehicle had stopped right beside her. Then several persons jumped out, surrounded the young girl. They forced her into the vehicle, one shoving her from behind while two more grabbed each arm and tried to sling her into the car. Tanetta was kicking and screaming, but at just a hundred pounds, the girl was no match for several grown adults. We don't really know how many of these people there were, or their age, race, gender, for anything for these people. That's why all this seems a little vague. Trying to process what she had just witnessed, the bystanding woman yelled at her husband to join her in the car, and the couple attempted to follow the vehicle. They weaved in and out of traffic, and they were actually able to get the license plate number, which was LKH920. But unfortunately, they lost sight of the car in traffic. Chattanooga is a multi-highway transit hub. It rests on the border of Tennessee and Georgia, and connects to five major cities in under 200 miles. Among them is Huntsville, Alabama, and Atlanta, Georgia and it is also the fourth largest city in Tennessee. Although it has a small town feel, it's still a large metropolis, and one that's easy to get lost in. That is no joke. I visited Chattanooga, um, I would say somewhere around eight or nine years ago, and I felt like it was a much smaller town than what it really was. But once we got into it, it really is a large metropolis. It just seems like a city that is trapped in like another time. It's almost like going back in time. And I don't mean far. I don't mean like, you know, 40s, 50s. I just mean like 80s? I don't know. (laughs) This sounds weird. But something, just the whole vibe of Chattanooga just screams small town. It just, and and I don't think it's the old town, small town feel. I think it's the old fashioned feel that we today associate with only in small towns. So it's weird. It's like they maintained that old-fashioned view and whatnot, but still grew to a large city. That makes sense. So as you could imagine, it's still easy to get lost in. And since it was 1989 and no one was glued to a cell phone yet, they had to find a phone to actually call this in. So immediately, the couple located a phone and reported the incident to the police. When police first received the report... The initial thought was that the couple had witnessed a domestic dispute, and so it was filed and treated as such. No search was started for the missing girl at all. To me, this seems like a miss on the police department's end. I mean, a young woman was grabbed by a group of men, slash people, most likely men, and thrown into a vehicle at 3 o'clock on a school day, literally half a mile from the school's front door, and their first thought was, Oh, it was just some kind of domestic dispute? That just doesn't add up to me. Anyway, meanwhile, back at Tanetta's house. Eight hours later, Tanetta's mother, Nani, returns home from a long day at work. She walks into the house and calls to her daughter, letting her know she's home. But there's no answer. 
Nani thought this strange, as her happy and outgoing girl usually greeted her when she got home. Assuming Tanetta didn't hear her, she begins to search the house, only to discover Tanetta is not anywhere. Then she notices that her book bag is not sitting by the front door where she usually left it, and Nani's heart sank. She then makes the call no parent ever wants to make, and reports her daughter missing. She was quoted later saying, I wish I hadn't been at work that day. She was just walking home from school and never arrived. A feeling no parent should ever have to suffer. To feel like being at work, providing for your family, may be the very thing that puts them in danger. Nani paced the floor for two days with no updates from police. Tanetta was believed to be a runaway. That was until someone made the connection between the two calls. The missing Tanetta only lived a half a mile from the area where witnesses had reported an abduction, and her description matched that of the abducted woman. For two days, police had thought they were dealing with two separate cases, a domestic disturbance case and a missing, possibly runaway, possibly slash probably runaway child, is how they were looking at it. To this day, Nani still condemns the Chattanooga police for failing to start the search when they received the abduction call. They didn't know it was Tanetta. They couldn't have. But they should have started a search when a woman was reported kidnapped by a group of men. Also, they didn't start an immediate search for Tanetta even after the missing persons report because they assumed she just ran away. If they had simply canvassed the area and questioned neighbors, it's possible they could have caught up with her kidnapper a lot sooner, resulting in a much different outcome. Once police made the connection, a search was launched for the owner of the yellow and tan vehicle with license plate number LKH920, and it didn't take long for police to find the van's owner. Well, why didn't you just do that in the first place, right? Anyways, police arrived at the home of Jeffrey Jones, two days after Tanetta's abduction, in hopes to find clues that may lead to Tanetta and possibly bring her, own, bring her home. Unfortunately, when they arrived, instead they found Jones dead in the yellow and tan van which he used to snatch Tanetta. His death was classified as a suicide as he had died of carbon monoxide poisoning. Authorities did a search of the area surrounding Jones' apartment, but were unable to uncover anything that pointed them to Tanetta. But some had thrown weight at the theory that possibly one or all of Jones's accomplices may have had a hand in his demise. I believe so. In order to keep a dark secret hidden, and that gave police a body to bury their secret with. Of course, this is all just speculation, but nonetheless, the kind of things police are considering with the reopening of this case. Over the years, many sightings of Tanetta have been reported, from Minnesota to California and all between, with some believing she is even still in the Chattanooga area. With each of these sighting claims comes a new hope that would slowly fade into radical acceptance as Nani believes that the answers to Tanetta's case lie with the community of Chattanooga. You know, this case reminds me so much of the very first case I covered, Aisha Degree. The, very, the number one episode of this podcast is so similar to this. Happens in a small southern town, right in the neighborhood. People obviously know things. There's people involved. No one's coming forward. Both the mothers believe that the answers lie within their very community. Uh, it's just so suspicious. Of course, Aisha Degree went missing in the middle of the night. Apparently, she left on her own accord um, to meet someone. 
And, you know, so this is a little bit different, but still a lot of similarities between these two cases. All right, so back to Jones. Jones was not the only one in the van when Tanetta was grabbed. We know that. There are witnesses to that. Someone else knows something. Police have recently announced the reopening of the case with focus on Jones as the main person of interest. I think that's kind of a dead end, but that's just me. Jones was already a familiar with the Chattanooga County prison system at the time of the abduction, and he had been out of prison for only a year after having serving eight after having served rather eight years for a rape and aggravated a sexual assault charge. And apparently, his time in prison had no effect on changing his character whatsoever. As police discovered just two months before he abducted Tanetta, he had raped a woman who lived in his very own apartment complex. So, where does that leave us today? Well, City High School has since closed down, and the building on the hill sits empty. And that little house that sat on the top of the wave has since been replaced with small modern apartments that look almost out of place along the mountain's edge. Nani has accepted that the most likely scenario is that Tanetta is no longer with us, but holds out hope that someone will at least give her closure and find her daughter's remains. Or if Tanetta is one of the hundreds of unidentified remains yet to be tested throughout the nation, perhaps in her mother's lifetime, she will see those remains identified and be able to have closure for Tanetta. Both Nani and her son Daryl, Tanetta's brother, have submitted their DNA into CODIS, that's the USA National DNA Database, in case there can ever be a connection made in the future to identify Tanetta, if her body is ever found. Nani has never changed her phone number all these years, just in case Tanetta is alive and tries to contact her. You know, that seems like such a little thing, but I bet, I bet every parent of a missing child who believes, who hasn't had closure, has that same damn phone number. I feel like for some reason that, I mean, that would just be the, the forefront of my mind. Like, oh my God, I got to have my phone on me all the time. She knows my number. She can call me, right? Never change that damn phone number. <laughs> However, some believe Tanetta may still be alive and that she was forced into prostitution, possibly in California. But after contacting the authorities there and working with them to find any traces of Tanetta, Chattanooga police say they doubt this theory. And although this theory has been presented several times over the years, no concrete physical evidence has ever been found to suggest that Tanetta is alive. Even with thousands of tips received as possible sightings, none have ever been confirmed. The FBI has released two age-progressed photos of what Tanetta may look like now. She would be in her late 40s. As of August 2019, Hamilton police announced that they would be reopening Tanetta's case with the main focus on Jones and his associates asking for help from anyone who knew Jones around the time of the kidnapping and his death. But like I said, I really think that's a dead end. I really think if Jones did know anyone else and there was anyone else connected to, to him in that scenario, they're dead too, right? This just seems, this, this gives a little more clout to the prostitution thing or maybe even human trafficking. This just seems like a big organization, they just wanted to grab some random local because he had a van. Vans are weird. Just kidding. <laughs> but I think that's what they did. They gave a large amount to some common criminal to use his van. I don't think he was the mastermind at all. You know, he was, 
He probably approached as a getaway driver. They knew he already had a record. He knew the area. Right? So... Tanetta was last seen wearing a pink and white striped blouse, a denim skirt, and white sneakers. At the time of her disappearance, she stood at 5'1 and weighed approximately 95 pounds. She had curly black hair that was trimmed short on the top and sides, and longer in the back. And she has brown almond-shaped eyes. Her ears are pierced, and it has been noted that several of her teeth are capped or have fillings. If you have any information regarding the abduction of Tanetta Yvette Carlisle, please contact the Chattanooga Police Department at 615-698-9752 or email coldcases at hctn.org. You know, when I first looked into this case, um, I'd pretty much already decided to do it when I knew that it was a missing persons case still unsolved from 1989 and it was a young black girl from the South. I, Like I said before, that's why I chose Asia Degree. I feel like that's the first case that really caught my attention um, in crime as a child because we're about the same age. And when she went missing, and it's, we just never found out anything, it just it stuck with me. And then now as an adult, knowing that black women's cases don't even get covered, the only reason I knew about Asia Degree is because it happened in my town. That's it. Their cases don't get covered. They don't get the coverage that other cases have, so I pretty much already decided on this case. But upon looking into it, I, I was shocked with the, the number one suspect find, being found dead. It just it raises so many more questions. This was not just a random kidnapping and rape or, or a murder even. This, was, this is something bigger. This is organized. For these people to, to lose these residents of Chattanooga in traffic and coming in and out and snatching somebody in broad daylight, no witnesses, this just seems too professional to me. There's something bigger behind this case in particular. Like, I feel like it's like Johnny Gosh big. You know? It's like, also, they had that guy, they had his tag, they had his van, they could have gotten evidence from inside the van, and yet nothing? They don't have any more leads. That's scary. That's scary, clean crime scene right there. <laughs> don't you guys agree? I mean, especially with today's technology. Um, now I know, I guess, who knows where the van is now, right? Um, and I don't know if they'd be able to reopen that. I don't know what they collected from the van at the time. I, I just... Um, and I don't know how much of uh, Jones dying in his own van. I don't know how he was killed. It said suicide. Um, so, however he died, that could have made a mess and contaminated a lot of evidence. We don't know. Oh, yeah, carbon dioxide poisoning. That's how he died. So they gassed him out. They gassed him out in there. Maybe they found him in a garage or something, you know, with the engine running and uh, the windows rolled down right inside a closed garage. Maybe that's how they offed him, tied him up in there somewhere, knocked him out, and then left him in there. Um, either way, these people that he was with, ruthless. Ruthless apparent professionals, because this is this case is insane. And um, for so many reasons, I don't think it's getting a lot of attention. Uh, and the police don't have a lot to go on, and probably not a lot of resources, honestly. 
So let me let me know what you guys think about this case. Um, if anybody is from Chattanooga, has heard anything about it, or in even in that area of Tennessee, that metropolis there, let me know if you guys have any other information about this. If I missed anything, if I got anything wrong, let me know. Okay? But a lot of this is my opinion, my, spec my speculation. You know, I'll take credit for that. All right? So anyways, let's get another opinion, right? Because Lauren's back. Hell yeah, Lauren's back. Let's hit it. Cue the music. Lauren's synopsis time. All right, see you guys on the other side. It's time for Lauren. It's time for Lauren's synopsis. Breaking down the case like... Breaking down the case like cardboard boxes. It's time for Lauren. It's time for Lauren's synopsis. Breaking down the case like... Breaking down the case like cardboard boxes. It's time for Lauren. It's time for Lauren's synopsis. Breaking down the case like... Breaking down the case like cardboard boxes. What's up, people? Lauren here, here to get my thoughts on this week's Strange and Unexplained. First of all, I'd like to say happy to be back after my vacation, ready to roll. And this week we got the abduction of Tonetta Carlisle from Chattanooga, Tennessee in 1989. She was 15 years old and a freshman at City High School when she was abducted walking home from school at about 2.55 p.m. on March 16, 1989. Uh, and this was actually witnessed by a lady who saw the abduction go down, must have been absolutely freaky to see a creep you know basically a creeper van we talk about you know creep creeps with creep vans all the time on true crime guys and this was a yellow and brown van that pulled up next to her and several men were seen forcing her into the van and driving away um, and this woman uh, witnessed this and she actually her and her husband jumped in their car and chased after this a heroic act when you consider that you know, they were putting themselves in danger here because this is a van full of men who abducted a child who knows what they're willing to do if, you know, if they know that you're following them. Um, and they were actually able to get the license plate of the car or of the van. I mean, it was a Tennessee license plate, uh, LKH920. Um, they called, reported this abduction to the police. Um, and simultaneously, um, hours later, the mother of Tonetta would call the police and report her daughter missing. Um, she never made it home from school. She was very studious about time, would, would walk straight home from school every day. And this was, you know, eight hours had gone by and her mother hadn't heard from her, hadn't seen her. So, of course, she reports her missing. And like we see all too often, the police don't act soon enough. And amazingly, they don't connect this report of an abduction of a young girl and... Uh, the report of a missing young girl together, even though the abduction was only a half a mile from where Tonetta lived. Unbelievable to me. You know, you, you had to have gotten a physical description of the girl that was abducted, and it had to have matched up with a girl who was reported missing less than a half a mile away from where she lived. I don't see how it takes two days to make this connection. And frankly, if it hadn't taken two days, she may have been saved, to be honest, because with the license plate they finally follow up on that two days later on march 18th and they find that it is a man named jeffrey jones a convicted convicted rapist of course who had served eight years in prison for rape and aggravated assault and um having been released a year before tonetta's abduction um and actually was found to have raped a woman in his part, apartment complex two months prior to tonetta's abduction this is clearly the suspect this is clearly the person who abducted tonetta along with 
several of the men, apparently, according to the witness. Um, now, when they the police finally get to him, they go to his apartment complex, they find him, un- unfortunately, deceased in his van from an apparent suicide from carbon monoxide poisoning. He left no note behind, and to this day, we have no idea whether Tanetta is still alive, whether he had killed her and buried her somewhere that we'll never know because he's gone. Um, this coward took his own life before he could face justice um, and didn't even have the decency within him to leave a note you know, and give closure to the family of Tanetta. Um, and also you have to wonder where are the other men that were with him? Who are they? Um, and it really falls on the police, unfortunately. Had they acted sooner, had they made the connection sooner, they may have been able to rush over to Jeffrey's home uh, apartment, and they may have found Tanetta alive there. Um, taking two days really ruined the chances. Um, now, since uh, Tanetta, uh, her abduction, um, there's been numerous sightings across the country of her, numerous reports of people seeing her, including Minnesota and her hometown of Chattanooga. Um, but her mother uh, apparently believes that uh, Jeffrey Jones killed her and you know left went to the grave knowing where he had um hit her body and unfortunately we may never know um hopefully there's something that comes of this but you would think if she was still alive that she would have surfaced by now i know there was talk that she'd been put into a sex traffic ring in california um once again at this age i feel like she would she'd be in in her 40s you know she'd be like 46 years old by now um she would have been able to get away from that you would think or I don't know, um, but uh, I, if if I had to guess, I would say, unfortunately, I believe her mother is correct in that Jeffrey Jones and those other men unfortunately killed Tanetta, and we may not get closure because, you know, it, we need a body to be found, and those men that were with Jeffrey would have come forward by now if they were going to, and they would be very old and possibly even dead by now. Um, with it have been being, you know, we're talking 30 years since this happened. So in August of 2019, the cold case, uh, in Chattanooga reopened the the case, uh, for Tanetta. And so hopefully we get something, hopefully something comes of this. Um, but yeah, tragic case that the, the police needed to have act on, acted on sooner. And, you know, I think maybe could have prevented, uh, whatever happened to Netta. Uh, whatever happened to her. So that's my thoughts. I hope you guys enjoyed it. See you next week. All right. All right. So I guess Lauren thinks Mr. Jones has a, uh, a bigger role to play than I do. I don't know. I think Jones was just a pawn, but maybe uh, Tanetta's mother knows something that neither one of us know. And maybe that's why she puts so much blame on Jones. I don't know. I think he's just the only one that they can connect him, that they can connect the crime to for sure. So it just makes her feel better to be able to place that blame on somebody. And no doubt he played a big role, but I don't think he killed himself. I think he was probably knocked unconscious, left in the van to die. There you go. The rest of the crew dipped out, took her to California or whatever. And you know, and like, let's say... She was brought up um, through human trafficking in like some type of ring. 
and she got out of it in her, let's say she got out of it in her 30s. Um, at that point, would you want to return home? Would you feel like the same person? Or would you just start over fresh? I mean, who could possibly understand what you've just been through and the person that you are now? I think it's the same reason Johnny Gosh never returned home. It's just that they're different people. There's nothing that their home can give them, nor than they can get that they can give their home and their parents because they're they're not those people anymore, right? I don't know. Whew, got off got off on a crazy subject. These types of cases, these rings, these underground shit. I know the conspiracies around it and whatnot, but that shit's been uncovered, people. I mean. With Epstein and whatnot, it's the cat's out the bag. That shit's real. We got to watch our children so closely. So closely. All right. Uh, anyways, to some lighter stuff. Check out this segue. Let's cruise on up the steep Chattanooga Hill to a lighter subject. Right? <laughs> um, guys, I got some great news. Uh, if, I don't know how many of you guys are true crime guys listeners. I would say probably most of you. It's probably the only way you heard about this podcast. I'm terrible at advertising it. Um... But we have a True Crime Guys mixtape. The very first ever uh, True Crime Guys album will be released. And it will be made up of... uh, Let's see, should I even tell you guys? I haven't told anybody how many tracks are on it. Let's see, there's 10 tracks and a bonus track. So 11. But 10 musical ones. Okay, that's all the hints I'm telling you guys, okay? 10 tracks on there. It'll be released June 18th. So hopefully... Unless for some reason they don't approve it or it gets pulled. But I think uh, everything has been approved. We're all good. All my artwork matches my information. All my lyrics are hopefully right. I don't know. We'll see. But I'm super excited about this, guys. Because this release will be everywhere. It'll be on Spotify, iTunes, freaking TikTok. If you want to use, use this on a TikTok video, any of our music that's on the album, you can. Um, Instagram stories with lyrics. Uh, so I'm super stoked about this, guys. This is a big thing for us, so play it, stream it for us, um, all that good stuff. Use it on your videos on YouTube and get demonetized. I'm just kidding. You don't have to... (laughs) Anyways, guys, check that out on June 18th, uh, wherever you listen to music. Also, if you get a minute, go check out patreon.com slash podcast. Check out all the content I got on there. I got all kinds of shit on there. All right, Strange Shorts, I just released episode like 31 of Strange Shorts. All kinds of crazy stuff um, on there. And also, speaking of Patreon, there is going to be a new tier. There is a new tier in the works, and it will include things like um, regular Zoom meetings. Uh, I don't really like the word meeting. More like a Zoom hangout, right? So let's hang out. If you think we got chemistry, you'll be able to join this tier And I'm thinking like once every two weeks. So every other week, we'll have a Zoom hangout on this tier. This is all all speculation right now. I'm just throwing these ideas out there. You guys give me some feedback. Let me know if you think that would be cool. Um, Also, let's be Snapchat friends on this tier, right? I love Snapchat. Um, I catch a lot of grief from a lot of my friends and... Some followers even, they're like, I should post more stuff, blah, 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 and this, post more of that. I know, I'm terrible about it, but I do post a lot on Snapchat. I love Snapchat. Um, And I think if you guys wanted to join me on a Strange and Unexplained Snapchat platform, I think that would also be a cool thing to offer um, on that tier. 
right? As well as one more thing. What was it? Oh, yes. How could I forget? I'm going to call it something like Sandu Grab Bag or Sandu on Shuffle. Either way, it's going to be a show that is released somewhat regular, but spontaneously. So when I get burst of inspiration, or I'm like, oh, I just want to record something about this, or I just want to get something out, or it may end up being a journal, or something like Higher Thoughts. Either way, it'll be like a goodie bag. It'll be like a surprise bag, okay? And that will also be available on that tier, okay? So Sandu Stories will be available on the $5 tier, uh, Strange Shorts on the 3 and then, of course, you'll get that stuff as well on the new tier. So that will be revealed soon. I would say within the next week or so. It might already be revealed by the time this episode comes out uh, to you guys on the free platforms. So take a look at that. It's patreon.com slash podcast. Uh, but if you can't, guys, I appreciate a review. You know why? Because, I don't know, because it lets me know if I'm what I'm doing right, what I'm doing wrong. You know what I'm saying? Podcasting, it's a one-way conversation. You're never wrong when you're the only person in the room, right? Anyways, I want to give a big old thank you to Chris. Chris left a five-star review. Says, strange and unexplained cases get explained as much as possible by host Michael. That's true. I explain this shit out of stuff sometimes. They're broken down by his true crime guys host, Lorne, like cardboard boxes. Wink. This is the best unsolved, unknown, and or unexplained podcast out there for sure. The Patreon content, content is an extra bonus to how great this podcast is. Thanks, Michael. Right on. I don't know about it being the best, but I mean, I think it's pretty good. I think it's pretty good. You know what I'm saying? Uh, also, want to give a big shout out to Zzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzzz